0: You came back! I'm so excited. You never know when you talk about resources, whether uh, people are coming back. Some of you guys are like, this is my first week. Dang it, I came to the wrong week. No, you're actually at the right week because we're in this series, you know, called Mind Your Business or other phrases, check yourself before you wreck yourself or stay out of my lane. And uh, one of the things that we asked last week is that, where do we do this with God? Where do we say, God, just mind your own business, uh, and I'm going to mind mine. And the number one area we've found, you know, especially for followers of Jesus, is when it comes to resources, uh, when it comes to money. And uh, by the way, speaking of which, um, just a show of hands, did anyone win the $1 billion Powerball? Anybody? No? Okay, just checking. You know, uh, so why are we doing this again? Why, why is this important? Because, we emphasized last week, because I don't want you to miss this, because so many people stress about money. In your relationships, one of the number one issues in a marriage or relationship is money. When it comes to business and how to manage and oversee, you know, different kinds of businesses, it has to do with money. So if we believe that God has created and he knows what's best... Could it be that if we get this right, it will actually help reduce our stress, actually help our relationships, and actually help our business and future? And the answer we believe is yes. So it is important to talk about this because it's going to help all these other areas of our lives, and it's why it's so often mentioned in the Bible. And so with that being said, we asked this question last week, as it's setting the stage even again for this week, is who owns your resources? who owns your resources. And if you can get that one right, it then changes everything. Because if God owns our resources, then we follow his principles, his ways, when it comes to his resources that he has given to us. And since they belong to him, then we can sum up what we talked about last week with Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth And with the best part, that was that first part of everything you produce, then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. So giving financially to God, watch what happens in your life. And it was the one time in all of the Bible we talked about last week that you test God. You can test him in this area just to see if what he's saying is true. So the challenge last week was try it for three months. Just see what happens. See if God's word is true when it comes to this area, if you've not done this before, and then give us reports and stories from there. As we kick off today, in Matthew chapter six, Jesus hits a common issue that most of us face, and that is worry, worry and anxiety. And he starts talking you know, to the people and he tells them, hey, you know, don't worry about your, what you eat or what you drink. Don't worry about what you wear. And so he's talking about, you know, these resources, these needs that we have. And and Jesus says, don't worry about these things. God is going to provide for these things. And then Jesus says, one of the most popular verses in all of our Bibles, that we like to take out of context and apply it to other things, which isn't wrong because it usually is true in those other things. But you need to see when Jesus is talking about not worrying about resources, not worrying about finances, but what should we do? In verse 33, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything that you need. That's the context of that verse that we apply to other areas of our lives. Can we seek God first? Can we put him first? And so that's what we hit last week by saying God, you know, regardless of income, we're going to trust you with your resources and want to give back to you first. Now this week I want to kind of hit on a higher level three principles. Three principles that the Bible talks about when it comes to resources. The first principle is this. God wants us to be known for our generosity. He wants us to be known. God has been incredibly generous to us, and to show the world who he is and his generosity in so many areas of life, he asks us to model that in the lives of other people. And what's interesting is, is if you get a chance to visit different places in the world, like this afternoon, I get get to get on a plane. I'm heading to Egypt, you know, for just a little over a week, Uh, meeting up with Steve Allen, who's our outreach uh, pastor, as well as our two missionary partners. John in the Philippines is going to meet us there, and Ronald G. Gunn is going to meet us there as well. And we're going to be, you know, ministering for this this next week. And here's what I know that I'm going to find, because I found this in other places of the world. People who don't have a lot, but who are generous, find themselves, happier, more joyful, more content, and more at peace. And it doesn't make sense because oftentimes as Americans, we go to places like Uganda or Haiti or Mexico, that kind of stuff. And we go into these situations and we look at them like, oh my gosh, you have nothing. My job is to give you resources. And they're like, we thank you for the resources, but actually we have everything and we are very much more content or more happy than you are. And you as Americans are less happy with what you have, and we're more happy with what we don't have. Now, it's not in all cases, but especially for followers of Jesus in these other countries as they're able to give. Now, conversely, I've also sat down with uh, men and women who are probably the top 1% to 5% of this country's wealth and had conversations. And those who are generous with their resources also are just as happy, content, and joyful. It doesn't matter how many, how many resources that we have, but do we have a spirit of generosity? Because out of generosity, we find ourselves more content, joyful, and peaceful. And conversely, you also can go to other places in the world where they don't have very much, or in this country, and they're incredibly miserable, just like you find people who have great wealth, and that didn't solve it either, and they're miserable. Why? Because they're not focused on the king who provides it all, and secondly, they're not choosing to live a life of generosity. And if we think, well, once I have more resources, then I will become more generous, you're now playing in a trap that never works that way. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. And this is so true. Christmas is right around the corner. And one of the greatest parts of Christmas is actually spending the time, I'm not talking about getting gift cards for other people, I'm saying spending the time to really think about Process through and spend some resource on someone you love in your life, and you know it's going to mean a lot to them. And I don't know what that may be, but you know that moment on Christmas morning or Christmas Eve for those of you who don't celebrate Christmas. Right, you know, um, when they open up their present, you know, and they just have this overwhelming, "Oh my goodness, I can't believe!" And it's so weird because you're the one that spent time, you're the one that spent resources, and you're sitting back just as filled if not more so, than the person receiving the gift. That's just the way that God kind of works when it comes to this. Uh, It's the same thing that's gonna be happening with Joy of the World offering in just a couple weeks There's our annual Christmas Eve offering is to see the expression on people's faces when we have a chance to give. Now, Jesus goes even a step further and says, let me make sure I define the difference between giving and generosity. In Mark chapter 12, it says these words that Jesus sits down near the collection box in the temple and he watches people as they drop their money into the temple box. Let that sit with you for just a second. The son of God is sitting there. Yep. Good. No. Yep. I mean, you just imagine just, he's sitting there watching and he's watching many rich people put in a lot of resources, but a widow, a poor widow comes up with just a few coins And somewhere between him seeing it and her dropping it in, he calls his fellows around him Guys, guys, come here. You got to check this out. So now it's not just Jesus watching this widow. You get all 12 of his disciples who are now gathered around and staring at this widow who puts in two copper coins. And Jesus says, Guys, I want you to notice this principle here. Those other people, they gave, and that's great, but they gave out of their plenty. This woman gave all that she had to live on and she will be counted as blessed. Now, as an American, as an American Christian, Jesus, you did it all wrong. It makes no sense, right? Because as an American Christian, the way we would see the story is like, Jesus, that's not what you're supposed to do, because God cares for people in poverty. And so because this widow is in need, you should have stopped the process. You should have told her first, You have an excuse. You have a reason. You have lost your husband. Things are not good in your life. You are excused from giving. He doesn't do that. That's his first mistake. I'm gonna get struck down by the way. Um, (laughs) His second mistake, according to our mindset, is that he should have stopped the procession right there and said, all right, everybody gather around. We're gonna take an extra offering right now for this incredible woman who's gone through hard times. Let's take up an extra offering and let's give the money to her. That's not what he does either. It's fascinating the way that we think things should be done versus what God is trying to do because God knows he's going to take care of this widow in numerous situations, but he's pointing out the importance that she's putting her hope by putting her money into the temple box. She's saying, God, I trust you with everything versus those who gave off the top. And again, it's not to criticize those who gave off the top. He's just saying, that is generosity. That is a picture of my ownership in somebody's life. In fact, in Luke chapter six, he says this, give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. Notice this, the amount you give will determine the amount you get back. That's a pretty cool promise right there from Jesus the more generous you are, the more generosity seems to come your way. You ever notice that with people like, man, how come they're being, well, it's because when you become a generous person, people around you, it's infectious in a really positive way. And when you pour out generosity, it's weird how generosity seems to come back towards you. It's God's economy. Now, I mean, some of it may be financially, some of it may be in other ways, but you see this generosity on a regular basis. Now, Here's an opportunity for me as a pastor to just say thanks because this has been the most generous church that I've ever been a part of. Seven years, you know, I have been here and we have given you numerous opportunities, whether it be like providing food during COVID or homes for widows, you know, or other, you know, mosquito nets we've done, water, all this other kind of stuff that we've done over the last seven and a half years. And never, never has there been a time where you didn't meet or exceed the expectation or the gift. It's amazing to me to see. Now, there are pastors that are nervous whenever they do an additional ask. Because in those churches, they have seen people take their normal tithes and offerings and just shift them over and be like, hey, we met the need. Yeah, now the church needs to take out a second mortgage. You know, and so you you see this nervousness takes place and that has never happened since I've been here because there are so many of you who continue to give and then are felt by God to give to something above and beyond, and we continue to meet the needs of those in our community as well as those around the world. And I just want to say thank you. In fact, uh, Jay already pointed out, $450,000 was given to Joy in the World last year to help those who need fresh water, and you gave... Now, you need to remember, the goal was $200,000. I don't know what happened, except for God knew that there was greater need than what we were anticipating and we've used those resources and continue to those resources so that people in Uganda have clean water, but have clean water in the name of Jesus. And we see him doing amazing, amazing things that you're gonna hear about both there as well as in the Philippines and other places in the world. Let me get a little more personal. A little over seven years ago, Caroline and I felt uh, called by God to adopt. And uh, my wife uh, was born in Columbia, South America, and so it kind of became this full circle Event for us to adopt a girl from Colombia. If you've ever gone through an adoption process, you know that it is not cheap. You know, especially international adoptions can run forty, fifty thousand dollars. And this is seven years ago. Can you imagine even today? So we're looking at it going. All right, God, we feel compelled by you to be able to do this. And so, what are we supposed to do? So we started to get the word out that we were in need of resources. Here was was what blew me and blew me away. So many of you individually came up to support us in this endeavor the church did not write a check, not one single check. It was individuals in this church and other family members and friends, you know, who over the years have been touched by God and above and beyond were able to give as we gave and then we see the effects of that gift. Because of those of you who gave, there's a little girl who left her impoverished circumstance without a family who's now lived in our home for the last four years, which is amazing. Now, some of you might question whether actually it's an improvement or not, but you know... That's just my humor, and you know me as well. So um, I think it is. So it's been, but it's been, it's, it's been amazing. And again, it was, t- it was so moving to us, so many times that we were both in tears just because we were around such generous people who understood something about the kingdom of God. And that's what we're called to be. And we're generous, again, because God is generous to us. That's the motivation. We're not generous to earn our standing before God or look at me and look at what I give. It's no, it's because of what God has done for us. Now, this last week, um, I told you about the Apostle Paul who wrote our New Testament, that he went to a church, the church in Corinth, and he asked them for an above and beyond offering, an above and beyond gift. And this is what it says, so I wanna give you context here, in 2 Corinthians 9, verse six. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get... A small crop. But the one who plants generously, so notice this generosity theme, will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all that you need. This one blows me away, because sometimes we think God's a minimalist. He just wants to give us enough to get by. And it's not what it says. He will generously provide, then you will always have everything you need. And so he's going to provide not only everything you need, but plenty left over. But understand it's not just for you. It's so that you can share with others and live this generosity mindset. God being generous to you so he can be generous to others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide an increase. Notice this. He wants to increase your year, your resources, and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. He wants to be generous so that you and I will be generous. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met, and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God for your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, some of you, you know, have been given resources and you have this gift of generosity or you want to grow in this gift of generosity. Did you know that there are um, some incredible people in our church who will take you on a journey? It starts with one hour, but it could lead to an overnight experience where you get to learn what does it mean to truly live a generous life. Maybe you've been given more resources than than you anticipated, or maybe you just have that heart of generosity and you want to continue to grow in that. We have this things called JOGS, Journey of Generosity. And you can find more about that and how you can sign up for that at resources, so that you can decide if this is something you want more interest in or you want to take this idea of generosity deeper. And with that being said, let me ask you this question, honestly if someone today, could be in the church, could be outside the church, came up to you and presented you with an opportunity to give generously, and that opportunity moved you deeply, where you're like, oh my gosh, it just tugged at your heartstrings, it tugged at your mind, it made sense, you're like, yes, what would stop you or hinder you from giving? What would stop you? What would hinder you? Because I think if you're honest where we find ourselves as modern day Christians or even Americans is one word has hindered me in the past. When my heart's been challenged or or changed to find this need back, ooh, I I want to give to this. You know what it is? Debt, it's debt. See, the second point I want you to understand is that God warns us to avoid or work toward getting out of unhealthy debt because it hinders us from being the generous people that God has called us to be. you know, debt can be and feel incredibly enslaving. can it? You know this to be true, like this weight that's on your back. Proverbs 22:7 says, "Just as the rich rule the poor, so the borrower is a servant or slave to the lender." Or in Matthew 6:24, "No one can serve two masters, for you will hate the one, love the other, you'll be devoted to one and despise the other." And what he's saying is, you cannot serve both God and be enslaved to money. Now, let me just give you some American stats. You can Google this yourself, you know, but this is something I just found this week. American stats when it comes to debt currently today. 80% of Americans have consumer debt, okay? Consumer debt. So not counting mortgage debt, the average consumer debt in American household today is $38,000 average. Auto loan debt averages about 27,000 of that per home. And so credit card debt, specifically just credit cards themselves, average $5,135 per home. Two out of every 10 people use their paycheck to pay off debts. 50% of Americans literally are surviving paycheck to paycheck. 20% of people have no emergency funds that have been saved. One in three Americans has never taken the time to sit down and make a budget. The good news is at least our federal and state governments are great at modeling fiscal responsibility. So there are great things that we can learn from our culture that uh, we can model our own households after. And so appreciate, thank you, federal and state governments for that. Now, uh, one of the things we're going to encourage you to do, if you've never gone through it before, is Financial Peace University. It is a great course. We've got some great people that are leading it. Another one's starting up in January. And one of the things in there is they talk about a debt snowball. And they simply talk about how you take your smallest debt, you pay that off, then you roll that into the next largest debt, pay that off, and it doesn't take long for you to be able to pay that off. And so we want to aggressively go after this debt that is hindering us from seeking the kingdom and from being generous in the way that God has called us to be generous. And debt, it brings that stress and that anxiety into our lives. And we know this to be true, especially for most of us in the room, and myself included. Now, I want to tell you, I've gone through Dave Ramsey's course twice. Love it. Good stuff. Awesome. Because I don't want to get emails after this. Because here's what I want to tell you. God is not against all debt. Yes, I and Dave Ramsey disagree with one another. But I want to look at God's word. Okay? I want to make sure it's not what Dan thinks. What does God's word have to say? Because if God was against the idea, in all cases of debt, then Jesus would never have said... In Matthew 5, 42, give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. Okay, if God was against all debt, you think he'd be saying, hey, just as long as you're not in debt, just go ahead and enslave other people. You know, that's what he wants us to do. No, that's not what he's saying there. Or even in the Old Testament, it was okay to lend and to borrow, you know, from one another, but God actually put some parameters around that. And in Deuteronomy chapter 15, he says at the end of every seventh year, you must cancel the debts of everyone who owes you money. This is how it's to be done. Everyone must cancel the loans they have made to their fellow Israelites. They must not demand payment from their neighbors or relatives when the Lord's time of release has arrived. This debt, this release from debt, however, applies only to your fellow Israelites, not to the foreigners living among you. You can enslave them for as long as you want. No, that's not what he's saying there. But I'm just telling you, these are just two examples that debt is not against the will of God. What he's talking about is don't be a slave to the lender. Don't get yourself in a situation where you even buy a home and you become house poor. What he's saying there is that there's opportunities that God is going to provide. If you talk to many businessmen or women in our church, at some point in their business, they had to borrow money for a short period of time. Now, if they overborrowed or if they borrowed in excess, then they found themselves in financial stress and trouble. But there are seasons of that. Buying a home. The average person is not going to have all of the money up front to buy a home. But the idea is, you don't have to have the highest interest rates. You don't have to spend 30 years paying it off. You want to accelerate that in order to try to get out of it as soon as possible. But it's where is the debt that is actually leading to stress where it's consuming your life? Be wise. Be wise. And if you're in debt, work your way as hard as you can to get out of debt, but not... Not when it comes to not doing the mission and vision of Jesus. I didn't say this at 8 o'clock, but I want to say it to you, and I don't know why. If debt, getting out of debt, even our home debt, was the most important thing in our lives, we never would have adopted a little girl. God's mission is what preeminence or is most important in terms of working towards the ways in which we're supposed to get out of debt. Okay, does that make sense? So we want to make sure we walk through and we're wise when it comes to this, when it comes to debt, and when we have debt to try to get rid of it as soon as we can. Uh, in fact, um, I don't know a single church that went you know, from meeting in a school into a building that didn't have some debt. Some of you might say, well, we heard that guy from Texas a couple years ago talked about getting out of debt. If you hear a story, they started within a school and they had to go into some debt in order to be able to fulfill the mission of Jesus and then pay it down as a church. We will always put the mission of Jesus first. Debt reduction is not our number one responsibility. The mission of Jesus is number one. But we need to be wise because too many churches over leverage themselves and we are in an accelerated path to be able to pay off debt as soon as we can. Does that make sense? What's the driver behind all of this as well? Now, the issue though is why? Why do you and I find ourselves at times getting involved in especially consumer debt. And I know that there's one word, and that is, or three words, it's a lack of contentment. Debt is usually due to a lack of contentment. Hebrews 13.5 says, don't love money, be satisfied with what you have. Now, you've heard me say this before, you can Google this yourself. The median size home in America in 1980 was 1,550 square feet. You know that in 2020, the median sized home in America is 2,500 square feet with fewer people that live in it than they did in 1980. Now, I live in that size house as well. I'm not condemning the size of the house. What I'm saying is what is the why behind what we're actually buying, what we're going into? Are we, is it because of a lack of contentment, this whole keeping up with the Joneses, finding ourselves house poor, because a lender said, this is how much you can afford, and it didn't mean that's how much you could afford, that's how much you could actually borrow, is the difference between the two. So we want to be wise, and realize that could a lack of contentment be driving some of our financial decisions? It did in my marriage. Let me tell you an example, Uh, we were probably a few years into marriage, and um, Carolina had this brilliant idea, you know, to buy a very nice dining room table it's not a brilliant idea. I'd rather eat on the couch. Why would I spend money on a dining room table? And she's like, no, we have to get one that's like solid. One that's going to last like our whole marriage. And I'm like, yeah, that one costs like $1,100. And again, this is like 25 years ago. So I'm like, this is insane. And so I'm like, okay, you can get that. So she said, really? Yeah, she got it. So then I decided to go buy a new truck. So I said, it's equal, you know, 100% equal. So I go into this dealership, you know, in Auburn, California, you know, I still remember it, the Toyota dealership, and I bought a brand new Toyota Tacoma. I was like, yes, a man's car, here I got, bells and whistles, all that kind of stuff. And the guy, the finance guy told me that uh, I couldn't afford uh, monthly payments for five years, so he decided to make them seven, seven and a half years. You know, I was like, okay, at a very high interest rate, because our credit wasn't good at the time. I'm like, great, let's do this. You told me I can afford it, let's get there. And for 30 days, it was amazing. And then the first bill came in and Carolina's Carolina's like, Hey, you know, I'm going to run by, you know, McDonald's, grab something. I'm like, no, we can't afford that. I said, we're going to be eating top ramen for the next seven years. We got to pay this thing off. So all of a sudden my desire, my lack of contentment had me enslaved to the lender and put pressure on our marriage unnecessarily. Was my previous car in bad shape? No, it was fine. Everything worked great. There was nothing wrong with it, but because of my lack of contentment caused us to be in that situation. Now, praise me to the Lord of, for CarMax because I was able to, you know, give it away. I probably lost about $1,100, $1,500, basically the same amount that Carolina spent on her table. I lost, you know, in that. And yes, some people ask, we still do have that table in our house. So she wins this round. okay reason I mention this is that Paul, who's writing from jail, he gives us some insight from this. He says, not that I was ever in need, but I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. And then there's the verse that every Christian I know memorizes, and I've never met a Christian who actually used it in which it was written for the purpose in which it was written for. We use this next verse, for I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Paul wrote that verse to say, hey, if you've got a lot of resources, I can do it all with Christ as my strength. If you have very little resources, I can do it all with Christ who gives me strength because my contentment is in Jesus and not in my circumstance and my stuff. But I've still yet to meet a Christian who actually uses it when they're in those situations in life, you know, to be able to. And that doesn't mean we're, it's, it's not true in other areas. I'm just saying that should kind of help us step back to be like, huh, when it comes to my financial situation, can I be content enough to say, Jesus, I can do all things through you who gives me strength? First Timothy, another popular passage, says it this way. Yet true godliness... With contentment is is in itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. Man, that's a true statement. So if you have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, not money itself, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Is having money a sin? No. Is being talented and in businesses to be able to have millions of dollars? Absolutely not. There is no sin whatsoever unless you have prioritized the pursuit, the value, and the importance of money over the kingdom of God. He's Again, he's he's writing to Christian people. And he says that's what he's saying there, is that are you trying to find contentment in these things. So seek first his kingdom, which leads us to number three. The last thing that I want to hit today with what God's word has to say about resources is he challenges us to save and invest his resources wisely. In fact, he tells a story. The story is about uh, what the kingdom of God is like, but it's interesting once again that Jesus uses money as an illustration. He says, uh, there was a guy who had a lot of resources, and he went, you know, on a foreign trip. He was going to leave, so he's entrusted these resources to three guys. To one, he gave him five bags of silver. To a second, he gave two bags of silver, and to the third, he gave one bag of silver, and then he went on the trip. Well, immediately, the guy who'd been given five bags went to work, and he'd worked really hard, and invested well, and he did whatever he needed to do, and it went from five to ten bags of silver. Similarly, the guy that was given two turned it from two to four, but the guy with one bag of silver was freaked out, and he says, I don't want to lose money on this, so what I'm going to do, I'm going to you know, dig a hole, I'm going to put it in there, I'm going to leave it, because that way I don't have to lose any of it. Well, the master comes back, and he wants to give an accounting for the resources that had been entrusted to his servants, and so a first servant said, hey, I've turned five into ten, and he says, well done. Not only have you done well, but I'm going to now give you even more responsibility. Come share in your master's happiness. To the one that was two, he was four. He says, great, well done. I'm going to give you more responsibility. Come share in your master's happiness. And then the one, he goes, hey, I, I know you're a hard man. And I know you have great expectations. And so here, here's your one bag back. I, I was just afraid to lose it all. And he looks at him and says, you wicked and lazy servant. The very least you could have done was to take the money and put it in the bank. And you would have gotten interest off it. But you decided to bury it. And so then he kicks him out. There would be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then what astounds us, because this, again, is not like an American economy kind of idea. He takes the one bag, and you think, give it to the guy with five, right? Catch him up to the guy with ten. Nope. He gives it to the guy with ten. And we see some principles here when it comes to resources. The first being, we've all been given a different amount of resources by God. Our time, our talents, and our pleasures. And our, and our, and our, and our treasures, I mean, not our pleasures, that'd be a whole different conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I did, I did tell somebody last service, Never mind. I'm going to get myself in so much trouble. Okay. Our part, our part is to work hard. Jay, stop laughing. Our heart part is to work hard and to be wise. Okay. That's our part. With what God has given you, he doesn't just drop resources into our lap. He expects us to partner with him and to work hard in these opportunities. Proverbs 21.5, good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. Okay, That whole get-rich-quick schemes, that's exactly what they are, schemes that promise that don't fulfill. I don't know if that Nigerian prince is still going around. You know, that's a little dated now, but multi-level marketing, all these other things. They're like, if it's too good to be true, it's usually too good to be true. Work hard, invest. Proverbs 6, 9 through 11, one of my favorites. But you, lazy bones, how long will you sleep? When will you wake up? A little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Then poverty will pounce on you like a bandit. Scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. So you've got to teach people. You have to work hard. This isn't for the type A personality, by the way. You need to rest a little bit. So that's a whole different sermon, okay? Now, wisdom says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? The modern day parable is before you buy a house, don't always just listen to whatever the lender says and leverage to the hilt. Really process through if this is the wise purchase and the wise decision, And they can give you guidance. And we've got some great lenders, even even in our church, who do a great job with that in helping people. See, God wants us to save. He wants us to save, but he wants us to focus on his kingdom. Proverbs 21.20 says, The wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. (laughs) My parents used to say, Dan, you're you're a kid that just likes to burn a hole in your pocket. Ever had that say? Anytime I got money, I was like, I'm supposed to spend it. Let's go to 7-Eleven. Let's go to the arcade. That's how old I am. Let's go to these things, you know, and, and just, just use it. It wasn't really good when it came to the saving. But here's what we know. In America's today, most people have less than $1,000 in saving. In fact, if uh, most Americans or 57% of Americans also say they don't have enough money to cover a $500 unexpected expense, which is what God does not want for us. He wants us to save. Save for emergencies and life's challenges, save for retirement, save for purchases before you buy them. But the warning is, and this is only for a couple of you here, the warning is don't put your dependence and trust into your savings. Because here's what I know. Some of you who have worked really hard or you've come from hard backgrounds, you have said, I'm never going to go through that again in my life and I'm going to provide for my family, which is awesome to be able to do. But as soon as your savings becomes the comfort and the dependence that you have for your inside, for your connection, with even with other people, is when things are misplaced, it needs to be God above savings. And Jesus even has a story about that, which we don't have time to go into. So it's okay to have savings, but here's what I want to challenge you. Could it be that at times, some of your savings isn't for you? The part of the reason that God has blessed you so that you have the ability to actually get a large savings, especially if you know you're putting more of your trust and hope in your savings, that he might give you an opportunity to be generous in something that he puts on your heart. That's the whole idea. So as we've gone through this, let's invite God into our business by understanding we're going to seek first his kingdom. We're going to learn what it means to be generous. We're going to get out of debt so we can be even more generous with his kingdom. And we're going to invest and we're going to save wisely. Wisely so that he can be honored. The reason we do all this is because Jesus has forgiven us our greatest debt, which is sin. And he wants to be first place so that we can live that kind of life of generosity, love, and commitment to him in all areas, including our resources. So what is your next step toward living a life of generosity? Uh, Moving from here, we're always going to have resources. They're going to be available for you that it may take things deeper or further. So you can go to VL.church/resources and you're going to be able to see even some of them in the back you know, of the screen. And this, this is where you can sign up for the jogs we talked about. This is where, you know, uh, if you want to sign up for Financial Peace University, I a great couple leading that in January. This is also going to be where there's two or three book recommendations. There's two or three Bible studies that you can do as a group. There's two or three devotionals that you can walk through. There's going to be these resources to be like, hey, that's something I want to go deeper with. During the week, we want to make sure we put these resources into your hands. So what is your next step? If there's anything from me, guys, just, just <laughs> throw it away. But if God is tugging on you if he wants to encourage you, if he wants to challenge you, that's what he wants to do. That's maybe why he brought you here today. And I don't know what that may be, but I trust that his spirit is going to lead you. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for today, the opportunity to love, to be challenged, and to grow in you. And Father, we just pray that you would lead, guide, and direct our steps. Father, we just want to seek first your kingdom. And this is one of those areas that can hold us back from that. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.